0: Welcome to Dragon Babies. Welcome. I'm Grace. And I'm Madeline. And this week, we're going to be discussing Howl's Moving Castle by Diana Wynne-Jones. You ready? So ready. (laughs) So in our last few episodes, we've been bad about including a book summary right off the bat. Um, I want to get a little bit better about that for people who haven't read these wonderful books for a while. Or at all. Or or ever mm-hmm. or ever, we've got some uninitiates out there whose first exposure to these books is this podcast for some reason. But <laughs> it's how it's been working so far.
1: If if you are one of those people, we of course highly encourage you to read every single one of these books.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think a lot of people hold back from young adult when they're not young adults anymore, and I understand that to some extent. I think I'd be hesitant if we hadn't had this exposure when we were younger, but. As we've seen just from the first two books that we've revisited, they're so rich and there's so much to explore there. They're very worthwhile. So, shout out to young adult fantasy in a young adult fantasy podcast. <laughs> <laughs> okay. A surprising endorsement. <laughs> surprising <laughs> endorsement. You never know what's going to come out of our mouths. <laughs> so, Howl's Castle is about a girl named Sophie whose father dies and whose stepmother decides that she. Needs to send each of the three sisters to seek their fortunes. Mm-hmm. Sophie stays behind to take care of the hat shop because she is the eldest. And as she says again and again. She's a real complex about this. Useless. Like she can't find her destiny. Because she's Because the the she is the eldest of three. Um, which is just one of the. Common fairy tale tropes that the book kind of plays with, mm-hmm. um, and which is really fun. But her other two sisters go to a magician and to a bakery um, to learn their traits. Sophie is, you know, bored but fine working at the hat shop. And one day, a.
1: Well, but it should be noted that she tends to talk to the hats and tell them, <laughs> like, does. what they're going to do be and who's going to wear them once they go out into the world and the hat shop becomes really popular um, while she's creating all the hats and her stepmother makes a
0: lot of money off of it. And surprising things begin happening to some of the people who wear the hats Mm -hmm. Um, that do correlate with the things that Sophie is speaking to the hats as she works on them. So one day Sophie's in the shop and a grand woman comes in with a nervous ginger man. <laughs> <laughs> and she asks Sophie for something and is unhappy with Sophie's response and she puts a curse on her. Mm-hmm. And Sophie turns into an old woman, like 90 years old. Yeah, a very old woman. Um, she is relatively unfazed and she decides to just set off into the world to mm-hmm. seek her fortune because at that point, why not? She's got nothing to lose. And relatively quickly after leaving the shop, she encounters a moving castle in the hills above Market Shipping, her town. Mm-hmm. And she goes inside and meets a whole cast of characters who then make up the bulk of the book with their adventures. Yes. Yes. So that's that. <laughs> I have a I have a picture here of oh, you um a Portuguese that, yeah. a Portuguese cover of Cal's Moving Castle. I don't speak Portuguese, but the title is O Castelo Animado, and there is a very weather beaten and old little Sophie <laughs> looking worriedly so cute. at a cool rendition of the castle. Um, and yeah, I'll put this on our Twitter's so that you can yeah. check it out, but I think that one of the most fun aspects of this story is just how um how much is left to your imagination when it comes to things like the castle and many of their other surroundings because mm-hmm. I've seen so many different renditions of what the castle looks like. Yes. Um including an entire Miyazaki film, which we will get to later. Yes. <laughs> Um, and at one point in the book, Sophie, when she sees the Witch of the Wastes hideout and she says it uh-huh. looks like a bunch of chimneys put together, that it actually reminds her of the castle. But then there are other moments talking about like scraps of metal that are stuck together. Yeah. Um, and it's all kind of wonderfully industrial. It's sort of a steampunk vibe to the castle. Yeah. Um, and uh, this cover really indulges that as opposed to the cover of. The book that we read when we were young, and that I'll also throw up on Twitter, which is a pretty stereotypical castle, mm-hmm. um, and it's kind of rising out of a cloud, <laughs>
1: so they don't uh,
0: show any sort of moving mechanism. No, It's just floating. No, I actually I think the cover of this book is one where I I just don't I don't agree with a lot of the artistic choices. Um, I've always suspected that. I mean, obviously, this is true that some uh, publishers and then illustrators of books don't like maybe they don't read the whole book or Mm -hmm. they don't care particularly about representing the visuals that are described in the text. They want to come up with something that will look marketable, like look interesting Mm -hmm. and get the book sold. Um, And I think this cover kind of falls into that category. But I think that as soon as you open the cover and you see the really adorable dedication that's at the very start of the book, sorry, we just spilled water on our book, so it's a little, oh, <laughs> a little difficult. It was me. I spilled water. <laughs> a little <laughs> difficult to open right now. And the dedication says, this one is for Steven. The idea for this book was suggested by a boy in a school I was visiting who asked me to write a book called The Moving Castle. I wrote his name and I put it in such a safe place that I have been unable to find it ever since. I would like to thank him very much.
1: That's amazing.
0: Which is such a good dedication. Um, And I think it kind of plays into the feel of this entire book, which is Mm -hmm. one of joy and playfulness um, and just general excitement. Mm -hmm. I had such a good time rereading it. Yeah, like it was. It was a delight.
1: It was just enjoyable. <laughs> it was
0: really, really fun, um, and it's so immersive. Yeah, mm-hmm. I actually
1: read it um, in on several long flights, and then I finished it uh, while walking. Uh, Seattle's a good walking city, so I like to read sometimes while I walk. Um, Were and you I, holding
0: the book up in front of your face? Yeah, and I was it nighttime. No, <laughs> Madeline likes night walks. It was during the day. She does. She doesn't like sunlight. We also covered that she doesn't like water in another episode. So I have a lot of trouble. Picture uh, Madeline as you wish living on this
1: Earth. <laughs> but anyways, um, I usually when I'm walking and reading stuff, I have to c- try really hard to keep myself in what I'm reading. Uh, but I was just totally like I actually was on such autopilot and not even thinking about the walking because the book is so engrossing that I just looked up and was you know home suddenly
0: yeah I uh I mean I I try to walk and read but i I run into things I take
1: the roads that I take every <laughs> single day when I walk to school so okay. I know exactly where everything is because I've run into everything before I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what's wrong with
0: me. <laughs> My boyfriend has a headlamp that he purchased at one point that he used to wear to, so that he could go on night walks and study. It looks great. Yeah, so <laughs> if you're in Seattle and you see a, a man walking around Capitol <laughs> with Hill with a headlamp looking
1: <laughs> with large glasses. <laughs> dour? Because he's studying. Just say, I'm not calling you dower.
0: <laughs> All right, just a quick disclaimer. We are recording this episode at night. On a Thursday. We usually record in the mornings on Saturdays. And I think both our brains are in kind of a funny place. Little world weary. Stick with us. Um, Something else that I wanted to mention about just, I don't know, the reception of this book. Um, When I looked it up on Wikipedia, because I was trying to see if there was some. I don't know why I expected this on Wikipedia. I wanted, like, a deep analysis of running themes in Diana Wynne-Jones' books, and mm-hmm. I couldn't remember some Did aspects of the spark Crestomancy books. I don't think her books are, like, academically inclined enough to be on Sparknotes. Okay. I, like, do you think they would be in assigned in a school? I don't know. It's been a long time since I read a
1: book that was When was the last time you were <laughs> spark notes, Madeline?
0: <laughs> I did look up poems on spark notes sometimes because I'm very bad at analysis of poetry. Well, I used it
1: for Shakespeare because I didn't want to have to try to figure out <laughs> what the hell was
0: going on. I,
1: I like Shakespeare. I know, I know. As I'm saying this, I'm like, oh, great. Get up.
0: There are Shakespeare well uh, references me. in this book, there actually. Mm-hmm. Did you, yep. catch, them? Not that Did I you don't catch them?
1: Not that I don't like Shakespeare. I was just a really lazy high
0: schooler. <laughs> I actually, okay, I'm, I'm getting beyond my other point. I'll talk about Shakespeare in a sec. But when I looked at this up on Wikipedia, Wikipedia informed me that this book actually won the annual Phoenix Award from the Children's Literature Association in oh. 2006 which means that it has received some kind of recognition after many years after it was published yeah um it's given out to books published 20 years earlier that didn't win any awards but that deserved them that is a wonderful <laughs> Which is wonderful one of the most award. interesting awards I've ever heard of. a
1: great idea. <laughs> yeah,
0: I, I, I mean, I'm sure I've seen the Phoenix like, Award on things before. But something
1: that the people who, when it initially came out, didn't realize how great yeah. it was.
0: No, and I feel like, I don't know, I get frustrated talking about Diana Wynne-Jones because I think she is one of the best, and mm-hmm. I think a lot of people just haven't even read her work. I mean, I did an informal poll of this book just at a party a few weeks ago. Because this is how much fun I am at parties. <laughs> um, and no one knew it was a book. Yeah, people don't uh, know it's People a book. had either never they heard of it movie. or they've only seen the Miyazaki movie. Yeah,
1: or heard of the Miyazaki yeah, movie. or Yeah, exactly. It's <laughs> not give these people too much, <laughs> much credit.
0: <laughs> Going back to Shakespeare, I think one of the reasons that this book is so much fun and it has so much to unpack is that there is that superficial layer of like I said just excitement and imaginative fancy and you're in many different worlds that that they're skipping through pretty quickly including the real world including our own world yeah like
1: this reality like can be opened into by their reality mm-hmm. which is pre- like modern day this mm-hmm. reality which is pretty cool
0: yeah with rugby club uh coats and I don't know the term for a jacket a rugby jacket in England okay <laughs>
1: <laughs> I don't know anything about rugby or
0: um, English jackets Christ. no I was just trying to I was just trying to come with the right term I guess technically it would be a no, no. What's, let's, what's a sweater called? Let's stop it, this This. Um, I'm. It's a, a. I don't know,
1: Grace. We had the Americanized Harry Potter books. Otherwise, so <laughs> we had
0: two of the original British ones. Mm. A jumper. It's the a jumper. jumper. Yeah.
1: Did you just Google that, or did you just come up? No, I have Okay. You you can see know, what I'm doing. I thought <laughs> it was a speedy
0: Google. I, I used my for brain a Google. <laughs> use my brain
1: Google. Oh, I use my brain Google. <laughs>
0: Okay, so there is that superficial layer of just fun, but then there are all these great literary references, and there is this mystery running through the whole book that Mm -hmm. if you pay attention to, you can figure out bits and pieces of fairly early on. Like, there are a lot of clues there. (laughs) Madeline's making a face at me.
1: I don't know. I did not figure it out early on, and I've seen the movie many times. And I read this book when I was a child. And this time I was like... I mean, I knew the general gist of it. But I was not able to figure out exactly in what way... Like what Sophie needed to do. Hmm. I don't know.
0: I guess I should say that... Spoilers ahead, obviously. I guess I should say that. I always... I remember the first time I read it, I knew right away that Calcifer was a falling star. Like as soon as okay as soon not as right they, away, obviously. No, but, but when as soon they they go the concept to catch of falling, the falling star, star is introduced. Yeah. yeah. And the little star is so scared and yeah. nervous. Um, I actually it's interesting because in that moment the star is really desperate to fall and to die. Yeah, because it's supposed to die. Why do you think Calcifer was essentially broken and didn't want to die because he was willing to enter into a messed up foreboding contract in order to keep on living
1: so i think that this definitely you could put this at some corollary cor- it's it correlates, correlates. with <laughs> cor- cor- corollary. Corollary. <laughs> when we did Sabre, we were talking about how the dead spirits that don't want to die claw their way up out of the river and some of them were there for thousands of years like just forever because their willpower is so strong and I mean like everyone's different we don't really know what the shooting star life is like we don't know how long they're alive or where they are before they're falling like I just kind of took it, like, I didn't have a hard time being like, oh, Calcifer was just like, he didn't want to die. But that mm-hmm. that other star was, like, dutiful. He he said, I'm supposed to die. Like, he was afraid to upset the order of things. But, you know, Calcifer is cheeky and, like, kind of a jerk, like, <laughs> in, you know, in a lovable way. Mm-hmm. Remember to hell's like, you know, the Witch of the Waste does terrible things to a fire demon, and, like, you won't even help me out, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> A lot of um, back and forth. I I really, really love Kelsifer. Um he's one of my favorite I don't know, I always love the little like willful familiar types. Yeah, you do.
0: Yeah. I think because you want one so badly. Yeah, that's it. That's definitely it. Um but we find our substitutes for actual <laughs> familiars yeah. in our fantasy novels. Mm-hmm. Going back to the literary references, I really appreciated the span of um works that were mentioned like everything from alice in wonderland when owl calls sophia mad hatter yeah um to the central john Donne poem that is the is that an actual curse. Poem? yeah oh i didn't know that grace was an english <laughs> major if we haven't mentioned this before yeah, they, they know and i was a russian major so grace knows a lot more <laughs> about when are we gonna read a russian book um. yes, yeah, it is a real poem, it's it, great maybe that's a thing that non-English majors know and I'm just well, the way they address it in the book they talk as if everyone should know it and it's actually kind of funny because it feels like Howell is, um, is literary because he's always the one making these references but they're also all from our world
1: so that's what I kind of thought a little bit about is that The weird magical stuff often comes from Mm -hmm. like the transference between worlds because Mm -hmm. that poem becomes a curse and a spell when it comes into this world, even though it is an actual John Donne poem.
0: Right. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And the two wizards Mm -hmm. are are from from, our world. Mm -hmm. Um, The Witch of the Waste I don't I think, think we know, it, where, she we know where she comes yeah. from. Um, but Wizards, Sullivan, Solomon, mm-hmm. um, and Hal are both from Wales specifically also. Yeah. Howell right. was yeah, born, raised there, played rugby. There. <laughs> yeah, they grew up there. Um, and I wonder, I do wonder if they already were magical, if they mm. had magic in Wales in present-day Wales, and if they had to find an outlet in a different place, mm. or if they somehow found some kind of like you, like you said, a like gateway between yeah. the two, and because of that, they gained some kind of power as they passed through. Mm. Um, but it is surprisingly easy to go between the two. Yeah, <laughs> it's not like, a big deal. I feel like usually that level of you know space. Fabric and time, like, ripping. makes you barf or something, yeah, you know, it's at it's the very pleasant. least. <laughs> it's not pleasant. It's not stepping through a half inch of nothingness, Yeah, which is what they do to go to Wales. But Diana Wynne-Jones actually is very interested in different worlds cropping up against each other um, in a lot of her other books. I don't know if you ever read any of the Crestomancy books. I did, yeah, um, I don't
1: well recall them.
0: But they have many different worlds within them, um, some of which are magical and some of which aren't. Mm. And there's actually one book, Witch Week, which was one of my favorites, and which I'd, you know, maybe we'll cover in a different episode. But um, it is just pretty much England, I do but England that. with work, yeah. witches. Uh-huh. Um, but witchcraft is outlawed. Yeah. And it eventually. Eventually, you realize that there are just a lot of witches in hiding mm-hmm. in the general population. The book also talks about Guy Fox and Guy Fox Day a lot. And when I read what? it as a kid, it was so confusing because this was before V for Vendetta was really no, popular. We were, you
1: know, just American kids. I mean,
0: now, I think a lot of Americans know about Guy Fox because of V for Vendetta. Mm-hmm. But at that time, yeah, it wasn't. Uh, I think, no, I don't think the graphic novel existed yet.
1: Um, I think it's pretty old. <laughs> I think it's from like the eighties. Okay, now
0: I'm I'm using my Google computer, and not my Google brain. No. Wait, that's the movie. He pulled the movie up. No. Okay. Okay. Put in
1: Alan Moore.
0: I typed in V for Vendetta, and I'm going to the Wikipedia article for the graphic novel. Googling skills, hi friends. Oh, just shut up. <laughs> I don't. Okay, it's. Um, from nineteen eighty eight. So it existed.
1: Yes, but we were not reading Alan <laughs> Moore comic books when we were eight. <laughs> I read
0: Beaver. Well, I mean, you weren't born in nineteen eighty eight.
1: No, I w- I wasn't
0: performing math. <laughs> okay, uh, yeah. Maybe we'll just cut this out. Maybe we'll just leave us arguing and googling. Um, but anyway. I feel I like now like it. it's hard to look back and say, oh, Guy Fox, what? Because this work alone made everyone in our country who like sees movies know about him. But as a kid, reading about Guy Fox Day, reading about burning effigies and reading about Bom- bombing parliament, like it all felt so surreal that I thought it was made up for oh, me the too. Book. I was
1: gonna say, yeah, I totally thought that Guy Fawkes was a made up guy.
0: So uh. I, I didn't think it was as similar to our reality as it was. Okay, anyway, all that is to say that I think this is an exploration of a similar idea.
1: Yes, mm hmm, yeah, I think so too.
0: And I like thinking that um, we're closer to magic. Yeah. Than we mm-hmm. think.
1: It's pretty cool. I always just assumed that magic didn't operate in this reality and that's why they went into the other reality and they found out that like magic worked there.
0: Because can't I guess But then how would they know use that magic? they have magic? Yeah. yeah, okay. Never mind, scratch that. And I noted specifically that he, he does and use magic which yeah. have a magical battle when he does mm-hmm. go through to Wales yeah. um, to save his family from her. It's true. So something many to think about. I mean, we've talked about the nature of magic in, in the other episodes, too, mm-hmm. in um, the realms of Tortal and also in the Old Kingdom and mm-hmm. Um I think that this book, I really liked the way it handled magic. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I thought the magical battles were super cool. Mm-hmm.
1: And I love the spells. Just like yeah. all the spells, spells are, just are so fun. cool, yeah.
0: Um, watching Sophie's burgeoning magic mm-hmm. throughout the book is it's really great. so great. Yeah. I love watching her grow more powerful and also performing inadvertent magic. She just on messes objects. with help <laughs> so much. She's always screwing up his stuff, and he always just comes like. I laughed out loud
1: during like the third time where he comes home and like, he's just like, oh, you're. <laughs> cutting my clothing into strips again
0: (laughs) why are you doing that when he gives her the charmed suit and says I have to go to the funeral tomorrow can you clean this and she immediately cuts it up into seven pieces (laughs) and yeah, and then there are other moments in the book when she's nervous about making him mad and stuff it's just it's really really funny I love I mean I love how headstrong Sophie is and Hal says at one point that she has problems not because she's doomed to fail, but because she never stops and thinks about anything mm-hmm. she does before she does it, which is true. Yeah, no, I think Howell says that to her. That's was, what I said. Oh, I thought you said. Okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just another moment of them really knowing one another and like getting one another that I really appreciate. Yeah, definitely. They're. They're just a fun couple. They're wonderful. I mean, coming out of these other two books where there are... um, Okay, not yet in the Alana book we read, but Mm -hmm. there were, you know, feelings, at least growing, burgeoning romantic feelings in the first book. And Sabriel, yeah, but in that book, it really kind of just whacks you in the face all of a sudden, because they've just been, like,
1: hanging out for a couple days, and they're all stressed, and they don't (laughs) talk or hang out or whatever, but... In how you can totally like believe it, understand it, be like yeah, they are really in love by the end of the book, um, and I thought that that was really just apparent and well
0: done. It's realistic. Yeah, it feels like two for people really getting to know each other. Yeah, which I they got to know each other, yeah. and that's how they fell in you love. You know that you love someone when you love their faults or like you understand when you their faults. You know what a weirdo
1: they are mm-hmm. and like you still want to be around them.
0: Yeah. And just the end of the the end of this book is so glorious. I mean, I got a little teary when Calcifer Yay! jumped up into the Calcifer chimney and, and everyone else is that. trying to pull at Howell and Sophie, but the two of them are just smiling and smiling yeah. at each other. And that just feels like a love story to me. yeah, that feels real. Yeah. Um, so that was incredible. Mm-hmm. And I think that Diana and Jones did an amazing job with it. Um, i I love how how Sophie, as an old woman, kind of intensifies her personality in many ways because she is comfortable. Um, like, she's ready to be herself because she feels like she doesn't have anything to, um, I guess, anything keeping her polite or keeping yeah, her proper. she's just like, well, I'm a really old way. woman,
1: like, you know, screw I'm just gonna do what I'm gonna do.
0: Well, and when she at first becomes an old woman, she almost immediately embraces it. Like, she finds the freedoms in it very Mm -hmm. quickly. Um, When she is out walking and she's talking to her stick and feeling a little weird about it at first, and is like, I'm an old woman. Mm -hmm. I can do whatever I want. And
1: she comes upon that man walking in the road and he's just like oh my god she's
0: yeah like, he tries she's talking like, over her
1: on me, or whatever. <laughs> he
0: like crosses the street she just of like acts off.
1: crazy at him and really enjoys it it's great
0: it, it was kind of a nice commentary I thought on um, I don't know in some ways it was like a refreshing lack of ageism like look at the wonderful mm-hmm. things that can yeah. come with growing old but it's also a little depressing in that when you're old nobody like trusts you to be a real person so whatever you do they're just like oh whatever they're old like yeah, go ahead it's true um but overall i mean sophie loses her fears and her social anxieties mm-hmm. which had been so intense that she wasn't even leaving she never the hat shop
1: to people or anything
0: yeah um and had her you know spending all her time in her house just trimming hats all night yeah Um, I mean, the only time the book talks about her leaving is when she goes out and meets Howell. Yeah. And with her losing all her other negative feelings about herself, I'm kind of surprised that she does hold on to that defeatism Mm -hmm. of, okay, I'm never going to achieve anything or accomplish anything. I will always screw everything up. But... Because she keeps mentioning the family structure and the fact that she's the eldest. Mm -hmm. I think it's just so baked into her that it doesn't even have to do with who she is.
1: No, it's just part of her mentality. And this book is like all about her proving again and again that it doesn't matter, like Mm -hmm. whatever negative mentality you have, like or like what reality you believe to be, you can break through it. Like it doesn't have to play out as bad as it's supposed to you know Mm -hmm. you can do your own it's supposed to
0: (laughs) madeline's pointing a (laughs) confident finger at me that'll be your political campaign someday
1: you make your own it's supposed to
0: (laughs) I mean it it is the running that's the strongest theme in the book like you have dominion over yourself you can change anything and be anything and I think it's really inspiring for young readers I mean it's inspiring for me as an adult to read it Mm -hmm. and I also this was rare for me to finish a book and not have some kind of feeling of even mild depression at the end oh my gosh did you get this too yes Yeah, I knew this would resonate with you Yeah. I was smiling at the Mm -hmm. end of this book
1: I hate endings endings make me so upset um, I've frustrated a lot of people in my life because I like will get to the very last boss fight of a video game or like the last chapter of a book or the last book in a series or the last episode in a show and then I'll just be like no I'm not I'm I'm not interested in ending that for myself because they make endings make me so upset but um, this ending felt so just...
0: I don't. I can't even put my finger on it. It was just so nice. I felt excited for all the characters. Um, I think that it's also a testament to how real and well-rounded the world is. Mm -hmm. That it feels like it can go on existing without us, the readers, looking at it, giving and like Kelsifer just came back. Like he's just like I'm going to hang
1: out. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. It's so just like. Yeah, it was raining outside, like, so Mm -hmm. I came back because I want to be with you. So, like, yeah, it just felt very, like, it could just keep going.
0: Well, and I It didn't
1: feel final.
0: Exactly, Mm -hmm. yeah. And throughout the book, the way that there are these different characters that cross their paths, and even if they don't show up again, they give the book depth. Even Mm -hmm. just, you know, the... Guy who wants to win a duel and which was
1: the the one that somebody married right? yeah, yeah the Jane yeah
0: the Jane married the one who wore the mushroom hat yes. the mushroom silk hat that yeah. Sophie made and charmed um, yeah yeah charmed or you know the different like sea captains and people who want mm-hmm. boat spells yeah. or wind spells um, and I love the physicality of. Them taking away the little twisted up packets of paper Yay. with powder in them. Um, yeah. I love the spell powders. Uh-huh. I've always, um, well, okay, here, this brings us into a segment. Something that I've always remembered from this book and that really struck me when I was young and then struck me again um, would be the the forms of the spells, especially mm. the spells in the bathroom. Funnily enough, um, like I've always remembered that bathroom because it horrifies me that it's disgusting, mm-hmm. but it's always filled with steam. Because I feel that all the dirt and bacteria are just bro- born on the steam, There's and like moss growing in the bathtub. And Hal is constantly cleaning himself and spending hours in the bathroom every day, but was, he must like, just disgusting. He must just be moldy and yeah. like mossy. No, <laughs> I mean it was in.
1: yeah. It, the filth is surprising. Yeah, it really is. But Hal yeah. like likes dirtiness.
0: He doesn't... I know. He's, like, so
1: intensely grungy. Like, he prefers yeah. it. He should just live in, like, a burrow because he likes dirt and he likes spiders.
0: He's, like, one of those people who puts on a million perfumes because he's covering up other smells. he smells like poop. <laughs> I do love the visual of him lying in bed with the spiders spinning their webs yeah. above him. Uh-huh. Um, and him just, like, ailing... Wailing and wailing. Yeah, when he says he is dying, <laughs> mm-hmm. and so he finally gets to seize some aspects of his room. Um, but is there something like that that has stuck with you over the years? Like something that you encountered again when you read the book, and you're like, "Oh yeah, that detail, Calcifer's saucepan song. Oh,
1: what they they keep That's talking so about." And I actually had like a a little, you know, just like a idea of a tune or like a half tune or something that I kind of like you know, imposed on him a long time ago, and I kind of remembered it when uh, I was reading it again this time, Um, because I just think it's so cute that he sings, like, a little song about sauce fans. I know. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) He's, like, this super powerful falling star that's become a fire demon, and he's, like, trapped there, and he's just, you know singing a little song about
0: saucepan. <laughs> I mean, especially coming off of Mogget a few episodes yeah. ago, Kalspar just feels so benign. Mm-hmm. He never does anything to harm anyone or no, even try no. to harm anyone.
1: And he's also, he's only five years old. Like, he's only been a demon for five mm-hmm. years, so whatever incarnation he was before, you can see that he's, like, actually quite young in a way. Yeah. You know?
0: Yeah. And when he meets the other fire demon, he isn't he instantly says that that they're older than him Mm -hmm.
1: he says that calcifer is more powerful but the other demon is really old
0: Mm -hmm. yeah exactly it is really interesting that there's such a focus on body parts and like the movement of different organs and the displacement of parts of bodies Uh and then the running theme of your heart being like too exposed or too hard like hard-hearted women and then Howell's heart being soft mm-hmm. um and I wonder if it is kind of a joke that he is literally heartless and that's why he is so cruel to women <laughs> that's why he treats his romances as sort of games, essentially. Yeah, I I
1: think so, because he is. He's heartless. And he can't
0: love someone Mm -hmm. until his heart is put back in his body. But there's also the fact that Michael says to Sophie earlier in the book that the day that Howell doesn't spend hours in the bathroom making himself Beautiful, then goes and sees a girl. That's when they'll know that he's really in love. In love and yeah. Sophie notes when he comes to save her that his eyes are red rimmed and his hair is a mess. And then she's right and away. And he didn't like, have his heart back yet.
1: No, so I guess but he did his heart. But I mean, she's like magical and stuff, and that helped because she... She, <laughs> <broke the spell. laughs> she broke
0: the spell. Because
1: that's what I mean. <laughs>
0: okay I didn't know if you were saying he was attracted to magic
1: (laughs) no it's that there was another powerful magic at play which was her magic and I think Mm -hmm. that she helped him I don't think it was just that his heart was missing I think it's also that he's just like kind of a
0: crappy messed up he (laughs) is (laughs) he is a mess yeah he has a lot of problems Um, but I think that I mean that's part of what makes the two of them a good match because Sophie is very pushy and mm-hmm. headstrong and I I have a feeling that even when she's young again she'll retain those traits and continue. Oh for sure yeah she's become that way like maybe she'll be a little less invested in cleaning. Um, and cleaning is won't. very
1: therapeutic. I mean I'll I'll put that <laughs> out there. It's I great. do yeah
0: I do appreciate how uh, how. Good a rep cleaning gets yeah. in this book. I mm-hmm. mean, when Sophie's family and friends come to the castle, they get excited about cleaning Hell's room. Yeah, um, because it <laughs> just it makes
1: you feel better when you literally clear out you the set cobwebs. Things right, mm-hmm.
0: it's something that adulthood yields. Yeah, yeah. Um, I okay. So we've pretty much covered our feelings about the romance. Um. I want to talk about pretend food. Yeah. Because this book did a great job with pretend food.
1: These people eat so much (laughs) bacon. They have bacon like six times in this book. They have bacon sandwiches at one point. I know. Which I started to try to be like, okay, so like, you know, it's a something else. It's a cheese sandwich and then they put bacon on it or something. But then I was like, no. I choose to believe that it's just bread slathered in butter With, like huge butter, grease, you know what what have you fat, and then you just slap a bunch of bacon on there and you eat it like that.
0: I I mean I guess I just grease is all dripping down your chin. (laughs)
1: It's like I
0: I think bacon plus butter is overkill. I think that's a lot of grease. Let us know what you think. I mean, (laughs) think about a, excuse me, think about a BLT. That's got mayonnaise on it, which I also don't like. But and it's great. Th- for me, a bacon sandwich is bacon with lettuce and tomato, or with some other vegetable. Insane. They definitely don't have no. Like, they I don't think they ever eat no. vegetables. <laughs> <laughs> There's always bread and cheese and meat and pies and cakes. Um, no, she's always
1: cooking bacon, and that's why she makes calcifer bend over. I know,
0: and then he gets to eat the rinds if mm-hmm. he's good. Um, yeah, I mean from the first time Sophie comes in and talks Calciver into letting her cook bacon and eggs. Um, the breakfast centric food goes on from there, but it all sounds delicious. And like yeah, who the doesn't want sound bacon really cooked good. over a fire? Yeah. It's amazing. It's amazing. Oh,
1: I want bacon now.
0: I want bacon too. All the time. Um and the perfect cakes from the bakery. Yeah. Like you mentioned. Didn't make me um, yeah. And uh, I guess oh, and they eat bread and honey at one point. But overall, there's a lot of food enjoyment and food importance. Like there's a lot of talk about lunch and breakfast, and it's very hearty food.
1: It is peasant yeah. food,
0: and I think I think overall the food is paid the respect that it deserves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I give it uh, I give it a a big bundle of bacon as a rating. Oh, yeah. What, what do you a good rate it? Um, A basket of bacon. A bacon basket basket filled filled with bacon. It's made of bacon and it's filled with bacon.
1: I rent it. You rent it? (laughs) I I rate it five out of five saucepans. Ooh, I like that one. Yes.
0: So we've discussed the sexual awakening factor in the other books that we've read. I don't know that it really applies here um, because the book is not... Sexual in any way. There's yeah. a lot of talk about romance, mm-hmm. um, but even just but it's very physical, fairy tale in that way. Yeah, it is. No, it is. Um, and yeah, it's another way in which it falls in under a or it falls into a fairy tale template. Mm-hmm. Um, like it kind of hits all the right points. Yeah. I do think it's looser and a little more free form than a standard fairy tale. Mm-hmm, for sure. Um, in a really pleasant way. Mm-hmm. Um, but it definitely does the you know. Courtship. I mean, Helen, Helen, and Sophia's courtship is just their time spent together. But they definitely are growing fonder and fonder of one another. Um, and then the begrudging Sophia's begrudging realization that she, that she too was charmed yeah. by the suit. <laughs> she's so pissed about just it. It's really cute. I love just
1: she's so angry about it
0: because there are actually so many different pairings. Um, and by the end of the book, everyone is paired off with someone yeah, else. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> It's great way. But it doesn't feel silly or cheesy. I no, mean, I liked it. They all make sense. Uh, it's hilarious that the two men who are formerly a mishmash of body parts... Like, <laughs> becomes I love how suitor.
1: strange that is and then they like are all just like ha, 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 at I the know, end of the
0: book patting each other on like, the back oh. like good job man <laughs> you have a body again um I also one of my favorite details in the book was Sophie carefully putting her shawl over Prince Justin's headless
1: body so she doesn't have to like I don't know. It felt very dignified for like, yeah. you know, because he's
0: missing his head. And then he has the little lace shawl on for the rest of the <laughs> rest of the book while yeah. they're going through all the motions. Yeah. Um I why do you think okay, other than the obvious visual, why do you think Sophie was always so afraid of the scarecrow? Was it just that it was upsetting to look at and so urgent? I think yeah, and I feel like it never gave any indication that it was going to hurt anyone, and with the way that things work in this book, where people turn up where they need to be, I mean, which is also something that Sophie doesn't realize until closer to the end. I think that
1: she always just had a feeling that it was, like, an agent of the witch or some, like, scary, you know, angry spirit that's gonna hurt her, and I think it also plays sort of into the, like, um, the eldest child, I screw everything up. Because she thinks that she, like, helped a scarecrow and now it's going to, you know, attack her. She doesn't realize that, like, she helped it and now it wants to, you know, keep on its mission or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, Calcifer also doesn't, you know, tell her anything about it. And I think that freaks her out, too, that Calcifer can't tell her, like, this is what it is or, like... It's, it's, but that's
0: uh, mainly because it's not alive, that Kelsfer can't get a read on it, right?
1: Right, but it's also like an inanimate object, completely inanimate object, that's chasing after them. Like, that doesn't really happen anywhere else. Do you
0: think Sophie has a hunch that she did bring it to life? And is kind of worried about the consequences?
1: Um, I don't know. Maybe. That's a, that's a good point.
0: I think overall. I mean, yeah, the Scarecrow is a frightening force. I like that it's something that comes and goes mm-hmm. and is an ongoing threat throughout the book. Yeah. Um, but ultimately one that has to, I mean, is a figure that has to become a part of their their overall quest. I mean, so it is also, like, it's, it's an artifact that's been spelled by the
1: witch. Mm-hmm. So maybe it gives off a really bad vibe.
0: Well, it wasn't spelled by the witch. It was spelled by the wizard yeah you're right the witch i think comes into the wizard's like body part um <clears throat> which is another reason why the skull would clatter when exciting things would happen throughout the book um, because it was trying to give off I some love kind of how voice. macabre that is that I like know. this friggin skull was
1: just like hanging out there on the table and it was all gross because yeah. like everything in the castle is gross and it's
0: his skull. Well, it's great just how emo Howl is in so many yes, ways, and yeah. how kind of gothic. I mean, he's this perfect like romantic gothic hero because uh-huh. he's so dramatic and brooding, and then yeah. he's always searching for fulfilling love. And he has his guitar and his skull and his. <laughs> yeah, so cool. His
1: skull, his guitar, and it's and like suits. I mean, super magical artifacts.
0: <laughs> yeah, I. I mean all the drama that surrounds him is so funny there's so many moments i laughed because of it Mm -hmm. and just great lines and yeah the skull is definitely a big part of that so i
1: really love when she turns his hair pink and he just has like a fit because his hair is pink
0: yeah well barely (laughs) pink like to an extent where sophie and casper barely notice
1: i liked to imagine that it was like (laughs) Pinkish,
0: <laughs> and he yeah he flips out over that. But mm-hmm. then when she destroys his suit, he's just kind well of when like, she when she destroys two suits yeah, actually both of them. cuts one up and then makes the other one gigantic. He just turns it into his black garb that he then wears for weeks for the rest of
1: the god <laughs> how you need your hygienic I know it's not good. concern <laughs> it's me.
0: Not good. I mean I'm sure everything in the castle could use a bit more of a cleaning i mean no matter how hard sophie tries it's an old cobbled together moving castle yeah um but yeah Hal's how's body really worries me it really does okay so do you think that an adult could read this book for the first time and enjoy it
1: oh my gosh so much i actually barely remembered this book i read it one time a really long time ago and I enjoyed it so much. Um, I just thought it was so fun. And uh, I was truly hooked by, like, the mystery. I really wanted to see the reveal. I didn't think it was predictable. I thought the magic was really fun. I thought the characters were great. And it just made me feel really happy. Like, a, but in a way that, you know, doesn't feel childish. Mm-hmm. It feels childlike. Yeah. In a just very nice way this book gave me all kinds of warm happiness I highly recommend it for adults
0: I agree it's really well written the prose is excellent Mm -hmm. um it I find that you can read through it at a fast clip or you can go slowly and really enjoy each sentence Mm -hmm. um and the chapters are structured very nicely into Mm -hmm. these little miniature stories yeah um, that come into a great hole. I mean, if you, you know, read through it all at once, I think it's easier to see the different threads of the mystery, mm-hmm. the central mystery, um, yeah. and uh, kind of figure out what's going on. But it's also just fun taking it as a bunch of little vignettes about yeah. their lives. I mean... It feels very episodic. Yeah, like no, it, it
1: does. You know,
0: episodic? Episodic, episodic. yeah. Episodic. No. Episodic. <laughs> <laughs> Just at the end, near the end, when Sophie feels like something's not quite right, but they've settled into their new life, um, Mm -hmm. going out and collecting flowers in the morning in the fields at the edges of the waste and Mm -hmm. then selling them in the shop and Sophie working on her plant spells. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, it's all so idyllic, Mm -hmm. uh, but not in a false over-the-top way. It it feels like a life that, that you would want to have. And, so, and really so much have happens good. yeah so much happens in the book but it never a lot of
1: times books feel forced in the way they rush along mm-hmm. time mm-hmm. but honestly i just come away from the book feeling like that was a span of months and it but I don't really know how long and it was just like it just felt like watching like their lives change and grow. And it was really nice.
0: Yeah. No, I I it does, you know, it feels like a wonderfully rambling, comfortable place. Mhm. Um, yeah, and I highly recommend it. I mean, it's something of a coming of age book or a regressing of age book. I'm just joking because Sophie changes back to a young woman. Mm. <laughs> Madeline didn't like anything. I just said she had no reaction until she said, Ugh, her face her face did not change. But I do think it is appropriately a YA novel also, but this is just something else I love about Diana Wynne Jones. I think her books are good for all ages. Um they're so original and so creative. Yeah. Um I think it's you'd be hard pressed to find another book that has mechanism of not just a moving castle but one with these specific entryways that are rooted in very different places Mm -hmm. um and there's something so thrilling about that even just not knowing who's gonna who or what is gonna be on the other side of the door because you're literally in four places at once and one of them is moving at all Mm -hmm. times um and i i think it's good for adults and kids alike So this book was adapted into an animated film by Hayao Miyazaki of Studio Ghibli. Um, The Japanese version came out in 2004, and then it was released, it looks like, in 2005 in the U.S. So we were in high school, freshman and senior in high school. Um, And that movie definitely rocked my world. Yeah, it was extremely important to me. Uh, We had already seen other Miyazaki movies. It wasn't the first one. I had not okay I think maybe we watched them when you were too young we we had watched them when we were very young and I had watched others more recently but it was so exciting to have this book that I had loved for so many years be made into a Miyazaki film yeah it's just like it's such a
1: fantastic movie, and it's quite different from the book in a lot of ways. Like, it's very obvious that, of course, it, it's this source material, and it tells this story, but it's, like, this, this is a Diana Wynne-Jones book. Like, it is mm-hmm. her um, tone and her way of telling stories and, like, her pieces that she puts together, and then the Miyazaki movie takes those pieces and... F- Mia Zuckifies them like it just it comes out into this like also totally beautiful but very different in a lot of ways Mm -hmm. I love both the book and the movie Mm -hmm. um, so much but in different ways
0: yes I agree I view them as pretty much separate entities Mm -hmm. Um, it was exciting to see components of the book um, put to a visual Mm -hmm. but Especially rereading reading the book um, after watching the movie so many times mm-hmm. over the last ten years, um, I was struck by <clears throat> how the how the film ignored a lot of the character descriptions. Casper especially, Casper is
1: he's supposed to be
0: incredibly a lot different, scarier looking. Yeah, he's in very the book. cute.
1: But in the movie, he is so
0: cute. Right, <laughs> very cute. Um, I get the cues that they took from just his personality yeah. and the way he behaves yeah. for sure. I think they, just yeah, they shaped like a that into an goblin, Yeah, you know? and, and no, I absolutely, I just think
1: that Calper in the movie and Hell's with Cal is the friggin' cutest. And even though this
0: book, and there weren't any other characters that could be like little chibi cuties, yeah, right.
1: You know? <laughs> so they had to make it and this book. Describes Calcifer visually, perhaps more than any other character. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: he gets a lot of discussion. And yet,
1: I really had a heart. And there's a picture of him looking scary on the cover, mm-hmm. but I could not avoid just seeing him as like this adorable little chibi, like woogly eyed <laughs> fire guy hanging out, being adorable.
0: I think because I read it many more times than you, I still don't have my original Calcifer. View, which is something kind of like Hades from Hercules. Oh. <clears throat> Sorry, my voice is getting a little hoarse. Um, no, that's that's blue yeah. flames. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, like a longer that's nose a good, uh-huh. um, and just very mischievous, yeah. uh, chilling in but the flame, Um Yeah, and I love how many colors Kalfar has at all times in the book yeah. too. Just a beautiful rainbow. Um, and then in the Miyazaki
1: movie, he's almost always usually shades of like red and orange mm-hmm. and yellow. Yeah. I actually have a Kalfar tattoo. That is almost healed, but it's like a really beautiful watercolor, and like has all those pretty like reds and oranges and stuff in it.
0: And it's really great to have my little fire guy with me at all times. We'll uh, maybe, depending on how Madeline feels, put a picture of her tattoo on our Twitter. Oh yeah, lots to check out (laughs) at Dragon Babies Pod. I will get a tattoo for every book that we do.
1: Things are gonna get ridiculous. Grace is gonna come with me to every si- she came with me to get this one. Every single one, guys.
0: Uh I'll we'll make your future career in law a little bit more complicated, but it's worth it. Um there's also machine warfare added into the film. Yeah. Which is not in the book <laughs> does at not all. Happen in book. I, it's been so long since I read
1: the book. I can't be like, where does the like weird flying yeah. machine
0: with owl turning the into bombs? a bird? Yeah. yeah. That's part of his curse in the movie. <clears throat> it is. Yeah. I, I it's like do like a bird monster. <laughs> I do wonder, I mean, if they outlined the book and really the conflict is pretty pretty simple and straightforward mm-hmm. and it doesn't come to a head until the end of the book. Um, mm-hmm. I wonder if they decided they needed to create a little bit more drama. Yeah. Um, because Howl's main motivation in the book is to spend time with ladies and maybe break yeah. his curse. Yeah.
1: <laughs> He's like not very into it.
0: No. Um, and basically just like have fun.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's just really. <laughs>
0: he's not as he's not as serious as the hell of them.
1: Yeah, of no, the movie. definitely
0: not. Because
1: um, the movie Hell is actively like fighting against mm-hmm. the encroaching Bellicose forces. Right.
0: Yeah, he is. Um, and there's also just so much emphasis on how cowardly he is yeah, in the book, which is. Which it's really creative having this uh, constant labeling of who's supposedly the you know, I wouldn't say hero of the book, but mm-hmm. one of the major moving forces within the narrative mm-hmm. as yeah. a useless coward. Yeah. Um. And he plays into it too. I mean, he loves calling himself a coward, yeah, slithering out, sl- oh, it's slithering. Slitherer it's always outer. slithering out Um. Oh shoot! That reminded me of something. The music
1: in the movie
0: is really beautiful. Yeah, too. the mu as with all as with all Miyazaki movies, mm-hmm. yeah, it's incredible. Um, I do, I mean, in both the book and the movie, Sophie is undoubtedly the hero, and she's the one who gets things done. Mm-hmm. Um, I we kind of we didn't discuss the badass lady meter, but I think that as we continue through these books, I'm starting to realize that we're only going to discuss <laughs> books. In which the main character is a woman, is a badass, and... We're not going to choose on with
1: a, a lady character control. who's just like,
0: nah, I don't really feel like it. <laughs> um, No, because those are the books that left an impression on us and that we loved. I yeah. mean, there are others that we'll get into in which there just aren't as many female characters, but they're all going to be strong. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know, maybe I need to devalue that segment, but... We can think no, about it. No,
1: Sophie's great. Sophie is really, really great. And her sisters are great.
0: They also pull a switcheroo a la Alana and Tom.
1: They do, except... Although they
0: magically... The, yeah, they uh, magic. ...change their appearances. No binding of the boobs necessary.
1: Nobody's got to bind their boobs. Well, because they don't <laughs> switch genders.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I'm joking. Race.
1: Grace. <laughs> Nobody what if they just want to bind their to boobs? be a boy? <laughs>
0: um, yeah, I think overall, the movie does capture a an aesthetic that, if not exactly like the books, is one that's similarly imaginative and appealing. Mm-hmm. um, and there's actually this isn't an adaptation. but rereading the book, I realized that there is a video game that made me think of this book the whole time I was playing it even if I never articulated it and that is Nino Cooney, the wrath of the white witch uh,
1: which is a a studio ghibli game
0: yes yeah they did they did the animation for it but it's not because of the movie adaptation of how's moving castle that I think of it it is the book like a lot of the concepts it's the are parallel of the concepts world. yeah and the way th- the way the world works yeah. um I mean, there are m- monsters in Nino you know, that that just don't really exist in in *Hells*. But um, it's a similar excitement uh, excitement over exploration and mm. just having so much available to you, yeah. and just like not knowing around what, not knowing what's around each corner. Now it really is getting too late. Um, and I think the I distinct, Poobrine. different <laughs> poobrace, yeah the distinct differences around each bend. I mean, whether it's opening a door in your moving castle mm-hmm. or riding your dragon around the different lands in Nino Kuni. I haven't really played Nino
1: Kuni, but God, I really want to. It just looks so
0: incredible. If you have eighty plus hours to spare, I highly recommend it, but Damn, it takes a long time. <laughs> Another surprising endorsement
1: from us, but not really. I mean, winter
0: Our winter is coming, the actual winter. <laughs> go get a copy of Mino. Not fake winter. <laughs> not a fantasy winter. I just using the phrase winter is coming at this point feels impossible. Now that it's going to make Sonic Ice and, fires and go it. a lot harder. Yeah, but um, highly recommended, especially if you like this book. I think there's some crossover there and if you also like playing video games it's very much uh there's a lot of grinding it's a heavy rpg yeah heavy jrpg like it feels more like jrpgs than a lot of americanized versions so summing up um howls final thoughts i love this book
1: (laughs) no i mean i think i think it's Sorry. Do you want to finish your final yeah, thought, and then yeah. I'll do my I,
0: I, my. I wasn't step on all the, over the final thoughts. The finality but stamp, was stamp, stamp. complete. Um, every character is so appealing. Every space that they visit is so intriguing. Mm-hmm. I love that Hal's Sister's house is called Rivendell. Yeah. I mean, there's just so many little moments that make me smile. And it really was, I know I already said this in as many words, but it really was such a joy reading this. Um, (laughs) Sorry. As I said, such a joy reading this, my eyes fell fell on Madeline's um, Lord of the Rings poster, and I made, like, eye contact with Sam and just oh. smiling in a really mischievous way. We'll put a picture of the post. We'll put a picture <laughs> up, up on Sam Twitter too. Smiling. But that's how it makes me feel like a, like a little Samwise just smiling off to the Samwise. side. Um, you too. Yeah, I and feel. it's just like energizing. Yeah. I think it's really telling that we didn't feel depressed at the end of the book and that Especially we were me. just ready for more adventures.
1: Yeah, that's a big deal for me. And I are you done? Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> go ahead. It's funny that that was your end thing Because that's totally what I was gonna sum up with. Like this, just this book just made me happy um, in a way that a lot of time, you know, and books like aren't always supposed to make you happy. They do a lot of different stuff, but it was just nice because it wasn't happy in like a sappy way or a overwhelming way. It was just like just made me cheerful made me feel like a little bit like what Kalsper must feel like He's yeah. just excited about Sending being free he <laughs> to hang out with his friends now
0: and still like come and go to who the are Kalsper's friends
1: do you think <laughs> no grace his friends are Sophie and Michael and, and oh Mal. I'm
0: sorry I thought you because you said he's free I'm pretty sure yeah, all you're Kalsworth's absolutely friends. right all he wanted to do was come back and be with them we didn't even talk about Michael who is adorable but he pretty much does his own thing. I mean he's a he's a great <laughs> He does.
1: Yeah, he's always there but he's doing he's always, his own thing. And he's always
0: thinking about Martha. Yeah and um He's
1: like a fifty year old boy, so he doesn't like, you know have much in common with Sophie, but like they care about. The each two other. of
0: them together um are a great pair. Yeah. Um yeah, and they definitely wanna protect one another and mm-hmm. care for one another.
1: But like they have their own um important things going on mm-hmm. and michael's are different than
0: sophie's yeah it's true it's true oh, shout out to michael i'm sorry we almost sorry michael didn't mention and you the, in an hour plus podcast the dog man too we didn't talk about the dog man
1: but he like turns into percival
0: well percival Yeah, Percival was the dog man. Percival was the dog man. I mean, that's
1: that's the most fun sentence
0: I've (laughs) said all day. (laughs) Percival was the dog man. There actually also when I looked um, up the book on Wikipedia. There was a line about a Christian metal band um, that has... <laughs> Wait, are they called Percival was the, dog was the dog man? No, but that feels like a band name to me, which is what reminded me of this. That's what our band is um, going to be called. The Christian deathcore band A Thousand Times Repent. Oh. Pause and let that sink in. Goodness. <laughs> took inspiration from Howl's Moving Castle in their EP Virtue Has Few Friends. The song Take Me to the Witch of the Waste. We have much to discuss. Mentions the the Witch of the Waste and Solomon. (laughs) Uh, Madeline's speechless. uh, (laughs) Um, I think that information stands on its own frankly. I guess that's the last thing we have to say. Um, this is Grace and this is Madeline and we're Dragon Babies until next time see you next time bye bye. if you'd like to learn more about Dragon Babies you can find us online at dragonbabiespodcast.com we're also on Twitter at dragonbabiespod that's the first syllable of podcast the music in this podcast is Pippin' the Hunchback by Kevin MacLeod It's licensed under the Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license, and you can find his music at Incompetech.com.